I'm just imagining like being like, ah, uh, yeah, is who's who do you think's better? Is it like Magic or Paolo? Like, you know, like <laughs> I mean, like who do you think's more dominant? Was it Shaq or Paolo? I don't know, man. It's tough, dude. It's close, man. Just let's just have arguments all day about it. Like that'd be a crazy world we're living in. Honestly, I don't even know if that might make me question everything I know about. Basketball. And what's wild is like, dude. We're gonna be old as fuck by the time he's gonna be he's he's considered for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So we're gonna be the definition of old man yells at clouds. Like we're gonna be the old man. No, he he wasn't that good. If you no, see LeBron James, like, LeBron James, Paolo, <laughs> Paolo shits on LeBron James. Man, are you serious? LeBron just played for a long time. Paolo was that guy. It's like I can't. There this gonna, sounds like a crazy be, world, man. There are gonna be those like kids born in twenty. 2018 who are telling us that lebron played against janitors and stuff like that <laughs> ah, lebron suck man have you seen his competition <laughs> this is hot hand theory this is a podcast where we talk about the nba and break things down from an analytical perspective i'm your co-host xj as always he is my brilliant co-host jeff and today, Jeff, we have a very special episode. We are selecting and sharing our first ever Hot Hand Theory All-Star team. Um, I know that every outlet has an All-Star team, but I'm I'm really curious what ours is going to look like and whether ours would be different than theirs and how and how ours is even going to be different than what the official All-Star team will be and what some of our rationale would be for that. So I think it's going to be a super fun episode. I'm very excited about it. How are you feeling, Jeff? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I think I think we're going to attack this differently than most people would. You know, um, I think you listen to a lot of other outlets, a lot of other, you know, whether it's major media or basketball podcasts, or whatever. And there seem to be very similar qualifications. You know, it, it definitely seems like they're looking at the top of the standings and basically just drafting the best players on each of the top six teams, you know, with with one or two exceptions. Um and then obviously fan voting is just a totally different animal. People like LeBron James. I'm actually shocked Steph Curry didn't like, th- there was always, you know, this is Steph Curry and LeBron James's league. And for Steph Curry to be the one to quote unquote, fall off with the fans before LeBron James, even, even though, you know, you look at some of the advanced metrics, it is kind of justified. You know, LeBron does deserve to be the starter in the West and, Maybe Steph Curry doesn't, although it's really close between, you know, he's right there with uh, Luca. Neither of them are really near SGA so far this season, but I digress. The point is, is that it's interesting to me that Steph is the one who uh, fell off with the fan voting. Uh, Did so Steph fall being, off with the fan voting? I Like, I don't... A little bit. He's not top of the league like he was for... Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's not top of the league, but he was top for backcourt in the west i think he was if i'm not mistaken yeah but that's but still yeah, lower than he's still been lower than he was in the past yeah, yeah. right um and so yeah i i think those just lead to some really weird outcomes and we're just going to be objectively parsing through the league and trying to figure out who the 12 most deserving players from each conference are yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. I, and I, you know, just to and just to be clear with it, it's you know our aspiration is objectivity. Obviously, we are limited in so far as we can be objective. We all have our biases, but that is our goal. That is always our goal. 
when we're talking about players, we're talking about teams here, you know, our goal is to be objective. We don't have, you know, specific hidden motives that we are uh, airing on the side of or gearing up towards. So that's, you know, I I think that's a helpful starting point to have the conversation. So um, with that being said, let's, uh, let's start the Brunson MVP campaign. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what's, um, funny about, what's funny about the Brunson conversation we're yeah. going to dive into is like, <laughs> is like if you and I, if, if people wanted to accuse us of having a bias with the Knicks, it would have always been towards like Emmanuel quickly and his misuse, which if you break that down sort of leads to a bias against Jalen Brunson. Cause it's like, they were pitted against each other. They weren't allowed to play together. And so I never, obviously I was always rooting for the Knicks as a Knicks fan, but I never had like this, oh my God, Brunson's an MVP, you know, like part of me was always just like, oh my God, quickly is being so underused. And can we just, can the the Knicks just let him play a little more? That was like, I guess a bias I had. And so as we dive into Brunson, if you know, you're listening as a non-Knicks fan, uh, I hope you can try to appreciate that we're coming at this from a completely analytical perspective and we're not, you know, sitting here, even though we do have some Knicks gear and we do have some Knicks bias. uh, There's no part of us that's coming at this. Like how can we put push Jalen Brunson to the top or any Knicks player to the top? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, with that in mind, there may be some tough decisions that we had to make with regard to Knicks players potentially um, as we go along. Let's get started with the Eastern Conference. Um, uh, Just to clarify again, for those who don't know, um, from each conference, we need two backcourt starters and three frontcourt starters. We then need two backcourt reserves. We need three frontcourt reserves. And then we have two wild cards that can be any position. Um, And that all adds up to 12 players that we're selecting from each of our uh, conference all-stars. Starting from the Eastern Conference, we are going to just go ahead and announce our starters all at once. I think, you know, there's not a ton of surprises here, so it makes sense to do that. A lot more conversation and interesting stuff with the reserves, but uh, a few things that we want to talk about with the starters as well. And as foreshadowed by Jeff, (laughs) uh, one of those starters is Jalen Brunson. So in our backcourt, we have Jalen Brunson as a starter. We also have Tyrese Halliburton as a starter. In the front court, we have... Giannis, we have Jason Tatum, and we have Joel Embiid as our three front court starters. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about maybe, maybe not even all of them, but we'll talk a little bit about the things that we think are most interesting with those five starters. I think that's probably similar to where a lot of outlets and maybe even the the you know the voting feels like it should be. Um, what do you want to start with that, Jeff? I just think we have to start with Brunson. I think he's the most controversial. Um, to the masses. I'm not sure he should be controversial, but um, I do think that Brunson versus Donovan Mitchell is probably what it has to come down to. Um, Mitchell's been amazing. He's been so good. He's been carrying this Cavs team without Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. And I think I said to you, I don't know if it was on an episode of this or if it was off air and we were just chatting, Given all the Mitchell and New York stuff that happened last season, just and just given Mitchell's history, like if you remember how he was talked about in Utah, uh, we definitely addressed, you know, 
you and I actually thought that Rudy Gobert was the engine in Utah, but the masses certainly thought Donovan Mitchell was the engine. You know, they were the one seed and Mitchell got so much credit. He's just such a beloved player because of how he plays. Everybody has a bias towards the little guy who's super skilled, who can put the ball in the basket. And it's actually surprising to me how little he's being talked about this season. Like it's almost like the masses, the media and, um, maybe the more casual fans are just waiting for him to leave Cleveland because I, if you told me at the start of the season that Evan Mobley and Darius Garland would be out and the Cavs pretty much wouldn't skip a beat and Mitchell would be doing some of the things that he's doing on both ends. I would be like, Oh my God, the conversation, I I would assume that the conversations would just be unbearable and he would like be an MVP conversations. Like that's what I would have assumed would happen, but he's just been totally forgotten about. So I I know I said, we're going to start with Brunson. I I just wanted to give Mitchell his flowers because he very much deserves to be in this conversation. And in my opinion, if anybody was like, yeah, my backcourt is Halliburton and Mitchell, I would find that completely reasonable. What do you think? I think that would be completely reasonable. Totally agree with you. I also agree with you about giving Mitchell his flowers. I don't think it was an easy call for me between Mitchell and Brunson, but I I will say to Mitchell's case, I don't know that I feel like it's more incredible to me that, uh, you know, as far as what he's been able to do um, without Garland for more than half the season, without Mobley for probably around half the season, I'm not sure that it's more impressive to me that he hasn't had those guys because I feel like what they're doing in Cleveland is like perfect for him. And and I think that they're literally surrounding Donovan Mitchell, you know, in lieu of having those two players with just shooting and defense and the spacing's incredible. The defense is able to like insulate him and allow him to have a positive defensive impact. This year he's had his highest uh, defensive impact by EPM um, since his rookie season uh, this year. And he has just been able to play his game and has been able to maximize his offensive output based on the guys that they have surrounding him. They have a bunch of shooters. They have a pick and roll partner in Jared Allen. Um, and they have guys who just fly around the court playing defense. I mean, obviously we're talking about all-stars here. Dean Wade has been incredible for the Cavs. He's been absolutely incredible. He's shooting 40% from three. Um, his defense has been tremendous. He has been the perfect guy to play the four next to somebody like Donovan Mitchell. And those contextual situations to me have really uh, allowed him to be unlocked and, and have a tremendous impact similar, similar to what we've seen from him in some seasons in, uh, in Utah. So I, I, I think, I think he has a strong case for, to, to start, but yeah, I think I, I, as you, we both kind of landed on Brunson and we can talk about why. Yeah, um, I don't think people realize how good Jalen Brunson's offense is. I don't think I realized it. Like, he's legitimately been one of the 10 best offensive players in the entire NBA this season. And he's not killing you on defense, which matters. Um, I know Mitchell's been really impactful on that end of the court, but Brunson, you know, is known as kind of a sieve. He's also... What you just said about Donovan Mitchell, how the system is elevating his defensive impact, I actually think that, especially since the OGN and OB trade, the Knicks system is elevating Jalen Brunson because you have DiVincenzo, you have OGN and OB, you have Josh Hart, you have um, Isaiah Hardenstein, who has just been 
out of this world defensively. You have all these guys who are supernovas defensively pretty much. And it's making Jalen Brunson's life a lot easier. And if there's one thing that Jalen Brunson has always been good at, it's being in the right spots. Like he might not be able to do the right things or the best things when he gets to those spots, but he's always been pretty decent at getting to the spots that Tibbs wants him to get. He tries really hard. Um, And then I guess I'd be remiss. I mean, I'm going to say this kind of rolling my eyes, but I'd be remiss without uh, to to talk about Jalen Brunson's defense without bringing up all the charges he's drawn. I personally, you know, like I can't see past my, uh, a little bit of my bias is going to come out here. I, I despise players who are trying to trick the refs. I've always despised it. And I've always been very anti, like when James Harden was at his peak in Houston, always hated the rip through, hated the Durant rip through. I despise watching Trey Young in Atlanta And so I can't see past, like, I would find it very hypocritical if I thought that way. And then I was like, oh, but it's cool. And Brunson does it because he's on the team that I report. I, that's personally not how I operate. And when I watch Jalen Brunson, I do see a player who is quite often trying to trick the referees, any bit of contact, he's going to exaggerate it, whether it's offense or defense. And so look, I'm not trying to sway any Knicks fans. You can, you can think however you want about it, but it, However you think about it, his ability to draw charges is helping his defensive impact because those are turnovers he's creating, and he's created a lot of turnovers for the Knicks defenses, defense. Yeah, I agree with all that, but except your point, um, I, I actually don't have an issue with players, as you termed it, trying to trick referees. It's not To me, it's like, listen, if you don't like this thing happening, you have to change the rules. And I, I appreciate, I'm not saying I like watching it necessarily, like aesthetically, but I'm all for players just doing everything that they can do to within the bounds of the rules to get the biggest advantage that they possibly can. And to me, I think if you're not doing that, you're essentially like not doing your part to help your team win. <laughs> if you know well, you could rule, be doing something. and you institute or change when a guy, for example, they put in a rule to protect the three-point shooters, which I agree with. I think that the players are shooting so many threes and the players are so important. You want to desensitize defenders from putting their feet underneath the shooter's landing spots. Right. But now shooters are taking that and every single time they shoot a three, they're falling down on the threes like the smart ones. Anytime somebody gets close, they just fall down. So what rule can you institute to, there's no rule you can. Well, there's no rule to institute. You just have to have a good judgment call on that. I mean, like if, if the player, if the, if like it's up to the referee to determine whether that should be called or not, the the referee has to use his discretion. It's not like uh, we're making calls based on people falling down. I think honestly, I've thought this for a while and I, I think this is probably very unpopular if I had to guess. I think there should be an additional referee. I know it would cost the league money and all that stuff, but I think there are more things to see. I think it's harder. The ref, the game is harder to ref these days um, with so many <laughs> players trying to draw calls and so many different things happening. I think there should be an additional referee, and I think there is one for the playoffs, but then they should have an additional one for the playoffs. I, I just think you need more eyes uh, around to see what's going on, and I think if a player is not trying to get as many advantages as they possibly can, something that we really appreciate someone like Chris Paul for. The guy is trying to get every single possible advantage he can. He's trying to work the referees. He's trying to work the coaches. He's trying to get in people's minds. 
all those things are within the bounds of the sport. Those are all ways that you can strategically gain an advantage. And it's like, it's not up to me as the player to say, let me not gain an advantage because that wouldn't be right. It's up to you as the, the, the body that governs the sport to say, we're going to call it this way and we're going to have these be acceptable advantages and these not be acceptable advantages. At least that's how I view it. Yeah, and you're objectively right, but I don't appreciate Chris Paul for it. I hate Chris Paul for it. So I like, thought you liked Chris <laughs> Paul for that. Oh, I okay. do love Chris Paul. I, I do. I think I've been on here and saying that Chris Paul is no. I mean, for that, player. for that specific thing, Just that specific thing. Oh, okay. like Chris Paul would be like one of my favorite players if it wasn't for the like, rest <laughs> like oh, his shirt's untucked. Oh yeah, like dude, fuck <laughs> off, man. <laughs> his shirt's untucked like, is an awesome one. Yeah. yeah, like you're yeah. you're right. I agree. You're right. You're objectively right. But that doesn't like from an aesthetic standpoint, I don't enjoy watching it. And yeah. I think that the more I mean, your point uh, about just adding a ref is probably the answer. Like if they have more efficient, more efficiency calling these calls, there probably wouldn't be they probably wouldn't fall for them as often. But right now it feels like the players are incentivized to um, exaggerate the amount of times these things happen and trying to watch a beautiful sport it to me it it takes away from it yeah and i hear that and like i said i i just feel like okay you have another ref it's called less frequently players stop doing it because it's not fruitful right they do it because it works and if it doesn't work they won't do it anymore um so and this this you know we, we went down this rabbit hole i don't Nothing can take away from how awesome Jalen Brunson is. Yeah, yeah. This is not to. <laughs> he's not. He's not this awesome because he gets you know totally maybe a, not. Yeah. he's yeah. been incredible. He's top ten in the NBA in offensive EPM. Like that alone is just like holy cow. This guy who's barely over six feet tall is just he's an unstoppable force. You know, like I saw some stat the other day that he's fifth in the NBA in and ones, and he's the only guy on the list who's under six seven. Um, yeah, it's incredible. He's, he's just remarkable to watch with the ball in his hands. And uh, I remember the Fred Fred Katz tweet from earlier this season that the Knicks were like, you know, there are people talking about how they need a star, how there are all these external ways for the Knicks to improve. And Knicks brass just truly believe that maybe Jalen Brunson just has a leap. And mm-hmm. like he's improved again as a shooter. He's improving as a passer, especially since the OG Ananobi trade. He's a more willing passer. He's a better passer. Um, I just, I don't, he is the engine that drives the Knicks, and the Knicks are a very, very good operating system. If you're out there and you think that, oh my God, these guys are such homers, I'm not going to, I disagree with you, and maybe you don't think Jalen Brunson deserves to start. If you think Donovan Mitchell deserves to start, I'll repeat it. I respect that opinion, and I think that's totally reasonable one but just you know jalen brunson deserves his flowers and for anybody who hasn't watched him a bunch he's an amazing basketball player he's been just incredible this season yeah i so okay i i i just want to say for the you know for the audience the they're very comparable in terms of their impact we look at all the metrics you know that's that's a part of of course part and parcel of what we're going to do here we look at all the metrics that we can primarily focusing and giving a ton of weight to epm as the best one number impact metric that we have available to us uh lebron is another one that's highly touted box plus minus as another one that's publicly available and really good um you know i looked at you know the the players efficiency um some of the the intricacies of the teams their teammates and then obviously we watch a ton of games jeff and i watch a ton of basketball jeff watches more basketball than anyone i know 
Um, and I, and I, you know, I do my best to keep up, um, falling a little bit short, but still probably more basketball than most people that are, you know, <laughs> comment on the game, I would say. So for sure, they are very comparable players. The biggest dividing factor that I chose, and this may become a recurring theme is that Jalen Brunson has missed two games. He's played 45 or 47 games so far. Donovan Mitchell has missed nine games. He's played 35 of 44 games. Um, and that amounts to a difference of the last time I looked at the minutes, this is not accurate. So I want to say I, I have, I have a spreadsheet, so a hashtag spreadsheet watchers. Um, and I had Brunson at 1500 minutes and Donovan Mitchell at 1133 minutes. Um, this just a big difference in terms of their overall impact on the game, because when you're out there more, you impact the game more. And that is really critical. And when we're parsing hairs here for guys who are around the same range, as far as like impact. And to be clear, if a guy is, has like a plus 5.3 and another guy has like a plus, you know, 5.5 or whatever the case may be, those are, that doesn't, th these are not as precise numbers. It is not like his impact his epm is 5.5 and his is 5.3 therefore the 5.5 player is better and more impactful that's not how it works these are estimates right so these are estimating impact there's a range of confidence a range of error involved in all of these numbers so there are like to me i look at them as tiers and if you're within this certain range those guys are all comparable and brunson and mitchell are completely comparable the one place where they stand out the most is in how much they play and that means a ton that means a ton in terms of your overall value to your team. When you're out there more often, you're more valuable inherently. And Brunson's just played much more for that. That'll be the tiebreaker for me. And so that's why I have Brunson in over Mitchell. And that's why, you know, if you pull up dunks and threes and you see that their EPMs are very similar, but then you look at their um, expected wins, Brunson is way ahead of Mitchell. And so if we were trying to talk about who's been the better basketball player per minute on the court you wouldn't look at expected wins because that's a volume stat and you would look at their epms and you'd be like okay they've been really close you're kind of splitting hairs here but to choose an all-star team you want who's had the most volume impact for this subset of games that's that should be the goal of what we're trying to do here and because brunson's played nine more games i think it's reasonable to say that his overall impact has been slightly higher on the season um, I do think this also leads to another really interesting conversation with another one of our starters because, you know, we have Giannis Tatum on there. I think of all 10 starters, like that's the easiest part of any of this. It's just like, yeah, they're the two best wings. They're, they're, they're in there easily. They've played all their team's games. They're probably the best player on the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. They've both just been their amazing selves. Maybe Tatum's dipped a little bit from the best we've ever seen him, but he's still been amazing. Um, but that brings us to Joel Embiid, who is a very worthy starter as an all-star, but we're getting pretty close to, we're going to have some conversations about Joel Embiid because he's now five games away from missing the threshold for awards voting. And I mean, if he's not the permanent MVP favorite, he's one of them, one of the two or three MVP favorites. And the idea that he won't even be allowed, be, be eligible for the conversation is at worst an interesting one. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that extra? It's definitely an interesting conversation. And I, I, as I kind of implied, I think there's a ton of merit to it. <clears throat> like, I just think that 
you have to be available for your team and that's how you convey value. And we're talking about a season, you know, we're not talking about a per minute basis. We're talking about who conferred the most value in a given season. And you can't do that if you're not there. <laughs> um, so I think for Embiid, uh, I think it's good that the NBA, you know, decided here's the threshold. We're going to say 65 games. You, this is the threshold. This is the minimum you have to cross. Once you cross that, we, you know, we, we, we kind of consider that a lot less. I think that's reasonable to do because everyone has a threshold. Everyone has a threshold. And if you say like, I don't have a threshold, it's just like, you know, whoever is the best per minute player, then imagine if Joel Embiid suited up for one game, scored a hundred points, you know, on, on 75% shooting and 90% true shooting, kind of like, uh, Luca did the other day um, and had 15 assists and 25 rebounds. He played one game, got injured towards ACL. He's out for the season. Would he be the MVP? I think nobody would say yes to that. So clearly that's an extreme case, right? Of a one game and sample. And you'll say, well, I don't, of course that's ridiculous. One game. I wouldn't have that as my threshold. That's fine, but you have a threshold. That's the point. And so I think that you have to have a threshold and the NBA created one. And I think it's, you know, it's fair to quibble with it. But it is the one that they've chosen, and I think it's valid to have one because you can't just have a guy play, you know, at this stage right now, Joel Embiid has played 73% of his games, of his team's games. And the threshold, the 65-game threshold, would be playing around 79% of your team's games, 75 of 82 games. So if you're playing only 73% of your team's games or, or less than three quarters of the games, like how, how valuable are you? You know, you may be most valuable per minute, but are you most valuable in the league? If there are other guys who are playing 85, 90, 95% of their team's games, like it doesn't seem like a reasonable, um, a reasonable comparison. And the last point I want to say about this games played thing is that I think it's in, in a lot of cases, it's easier to have a greater impact when you're more well rested, when you're playing fewer games, when you're not playing back to backs, when you're, you know, taking a week off and then playing a game, you're not playing, you know, specific opponents on the road. And not to say that Embiid is, you know, has played weak competition because that's not really part of my argument. But I think it just matters that you're just like resting and rehabbing and playing occasionally and you can kind of give your all on those games and then rest for longer than other players can so to me that that, that all goes into the value most valuable competition when we're talking about for all-star candidacy Embiid has been so dominant on a permanent basis that there's not really a front court player that you could put in ahead of him because even considering the minutes difference he's still more valuable than most of the players in the front court and most of the players across the league Jeff mentioned um estimated wins by EPM. Joel Embiid is still fourth in the league in estimated wins despite playing only 73% of the games, which is outrageous. Um, so he's conferring such an impact on a per minute basis that for all-star conversation, he should still get the nod. For MVP conversation, it's a different story because there's way, way stiffer competition and when you're talking about MVP. And that's it like you just you just nailed it. And it's something I have to remember all the time. You know, we had this conversation that that uh went god i hate saying like viral like this that's not our goal here but it did it you know it got some engagement and got some views across you know nba fan where we talked about luca and the thing that made me cringe the hardest about it and i'll talk about it a little bit later when we talk about him spoiler alert luca is an all-star um why'd you blow it dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man they were gonna be they were gonna be fucking waiting on you know they were gonna be they're 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 just gonna be so nervous waiting to see if we made luke an all-star but the (laughs) thing that um 
the thing that I often forget is that I know in my brain that I'm speaking relatively, but I say things and I assume that the listener or somebody who doesn't know who I am doesn't know what's going on inside my brain. They have no idea how I mean things. I just have to do a better job of making it clear when I'm speaking relatively. And this, so that's such a good point here because if you don't make that clear, it could come off like you're like hating on Embiid and be like, oh, he's actually not that valuable at all. And it's like, no, he's a really valuable player who's like, even in spite of only playing 73% of his team's games, is still probably one of the five most valuable players in the league. But we're speaking relative to being the most valuable player in the league. So we're comparing him to guys like SGA and Giannis and Jokic and just amazing players who are playing more uh, a higher percentage of their team's games. Um, so and you know, just, just, just to implore- just to, to, to co-sign that real quick, Shea Shea Gilgis Alexander has missed one game. Giannis has missed two games, and Nikola Jokic has missed one game relative to Embiid missing twelve games. It's a huge disparity there. It's not like one guy's missed five and the other guy's missed seven. Like this is this is these are large gaps. But continue. Right. The the three probably guys who would be the MVP finalists combined have missed a third of the games that Embiid has missed alone. That's yeah. meaningful. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to make that point that like, this isn't like Embiid bashing. This isn't, Oh, we were on the Jokic over Embiid train a year ago. So this is our bias showing. No, like we've talked me and me and XJ have actually joked for months about how for years people have been elevating Embiid next to Jokic when it was completely undeserved. And now because of his playoff failures, we thought the conversation was going to be me and him would have to defend Embiid because finally, finally (laughs) the advanced metrics were lining up with that narrative. And it was obvious to us that Embiid, if he just played the games, he would be the MVP, but he's not playing the games. And that matters. That, That matters to overall impact, which is unfortunate. Yep. That's absolutely the case. Uh, that's well said and well summarized. And well heard by me, I and might well add. well heard, yes. Um, yeah, I can't forget that. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move forward. We have a lot to talk about. I don't think there's... I mean, I know there may be some fans that think Halliburton should be a starter. I don't really know that we have time to go down that. It's too... Like, I'm sorry if that's how you feel. It's Halliburton should, be, <laughs> should clearly be a starter. Um, I mean, he's he's also only played 34 of his 47 games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, so maybe there. maybe there's something to talk about there with with Halliburton. We can we can talk about Halliburton. That's fine. Um, Halliburton, I think, just really quickly, is uh, the analogy, the corollary is Embiid in the all the – the same Embiid conversation. If we were talking about for MVP, Halliburton would not have a case given his limited number of games started and played. But we're talking about against All-Stars, the his competition, he has been such a better performer than they have, especially and obviously on the offensive end. Halliburton's having like an all-time offensive season um, in the games that he's played. Given that disparity in level, um, he clearly deserves to be an all-star starter, in my opinion. Uh, if we were talking about like MVP or any like, you know, even for all NBA, I, I, I'm not sure that he'd be, he'd get in. So that, that's it's it's very similar to the NBA conversation for me. Yeah, I mean, do you know how hard it is to have a higher offensive impact than Nikola Jokic? Like that's <laughs> he's just been he's been incredible. Um, talk about his game a little bit. You know, he's just. 
he's a heliocentric player who can do stuff off the ball and is now scoring from three levels. Um, he's scoring from everywhere on the court uh, relatively relatively well. Like the knock on him was that he doesn't have a mid-range game. Like that was people were talking last playoffs as, you know, Brunson was doing his thing against the Heat and they were like, because the, the Halliburton versus Brunson stuff started last season when Wally Zerbiak made his comments. And some pe- people were like, well, when the when the defenses get tight and, you know, you need a bucket, how is Ty- Tyrese Halliburton going to create a bucket? Well, I mean, guess what? He's shooting 53% from the mid-range and he's shooting in the 78th percentile from a volume perspective. He's shooting plenty from the mid-range and he's an elite mid-range shooter. Um, he shoots a bunch of threes and he shoots over 40% from three. He's an amazing passer. Like that is when I when I see the difference between Jalen Brunson and Tyrese Halliburton and other guys. This doesn't have to be about Brunson versus Halliburton, but it's like Tyrese Maxey versus um, Tyrese Halliburton. God, the double Tyrese has really threw me off there. But um, yeah, Maxey versus Halliburton. The size difference is so um, loud because Halliburton just can create passing angles that these other guys aren't capable of. And it's why it doesn't really matter who's on the court with him. If you put guys put Halliburton in space and just plant them beyond the arc. Halliburton's either going to create an efficient basket for himself, or he's going to create an efficient basket for somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's valid, you know, that people say, well, Halliburton can't get to the rim. Like guys like, you know, Anthony Edwards or guys like, uh, like DeJounte Murray or guys like, I don't know, Jimmy Butler, but Paolo Bancaro, those guys can get to the, Oh wait, in drives per game, Halliburton is leading all of those guys. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's some of that is overstated as far as like Halliburton's ability to get to the rim. I think that he often doesn't go all the way to the rim, but he doesn't necessarily have to. <laughs> he can get to the mid-range game and he breaks down a defense very well with and without a screen. He can take players one-on-one and get to the rim. And I just don't think it's like that specific skill set is the most important thing when it comes to like impact and just to kind of, put a bow on the point about you know his offensive impact by epm uh his current offensive impact by epm um in terms of rate is 8.2 plus 8.2 which would be tied for the second highest in the history of the statistic um the statistic goes back till 2014 um in terms of it's uh the modern way that they do it you know um, player tracking data wasn't available until 2014 so um the statistic you can find data on on players for before that but it's a different you know essentially a fundamentally different stat since the player tracking data era um Tyrese Halliburton has the second highest offensive EPM um in the history of the of the of the metric to, to, to Curry's obviously to Curry's 2016 year. Which, 2016. Okay. I was, yeah. gonna say, I was, I was going to ask if it was that or Jokic's like 2022 or whatever. No, yeah. Jokic had, had offensive impacts in the eights, but I think, um, Hall- Halliburton's is higher than Jokic has ever had at any point in his career. Um, based just based on this metric, obviously that's just to give a, a, a sense of like what we're talking about as far as the way that he's impacting the game on the offensive end. Um, let's go to our reserves uh we can do this i was thinking we can do this in terms of backcourt frontcourt wildcard <laughs> let's uh let's start with the backcourt here's where we'll have probably a little more controversy potentially um in our backcourt for the eastern conference reserves we have donovan mitchell we spoke about donovan mitchell well deserving for the reasons we stated 
and we have Derek White. Derek White. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I mean, I have a, I have a Derek White thing that I want to say. I don't know if, uh, if you want to go first on Derek White, though, you can, you can feel free to. The White conversation is just so tired to me. Um, the one thing I want to say, uh, there are a lot of people out there who are going to view Derek Wright, Derek White, right? Derek White through the prism of how he played in San Antonio or even how he's played in Boston in the past. And I want people to tune into Boston Celtics games more and just try to understand how big of a role White is taking on. He is not this super role player that people make him out to be. They run offense through him all the time. He is a vital part of what they do. He It's not like he's doing a thing that other people could do and he's just doing it better. He is doing, he's playing multiple roles in this offense um, and he's doing them really, really well. Uh, of course he had like, you know, EPM loves him, but just like going across, like even if you just look at his shooting numbers, um, he's getting to the rim and, and better at the rim than he's ever been. Um, uh, of course, a big part of his impact is three-point shooting, and of course, a big part of his impact is defense. I just want to dispel the notion that he's just basically this role-player merchant because when the game gets tight and they need a basket, it's not as much Tatum or even Jalen Brown anymore. They're putting the ball in Derek White's hands and letting him run pick and roll. Um and I think that's been a really cool development for a 29-year-old guy who wasn't known for that in the past and was basically just reliant on his shooting to um, confer impact. Yeah, and I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, I, I will say, <clears throat> despite the evolution of his role, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of take some of those on-ball reps and take some of that creation, initiation role – he still floats in and out of those roles, right? Like he is a guy who can float between being the on-ball guy, being the off-ball guy, playing really whatever role the like the team needs him to play, which I think is inherently valuable. But I do think like when it comes down to this impact or this, you know, this dynamic between the value or impact of a primary creator versus a role player, like I think this is something that I really want to spend a minute here talking about. Um because I think that there's like kind of like traditional basketball wisdom says that the primary creator is almost like inherently more valuable than a role player, like especially the best ones. So when you're picking for the all-star team, I feel like we tend to heavily factor or, or, or heavily favor primary creators. And it's almost like they get extra credit for being in that role. You're like a primary creator. Um, and like maybe it's warranted. Maybe it's warranted. I'm not saying that's not. But I, I feel my belief of the argument goes like, okay, this player is more valuable because they're doing more difficult job, one that requires more skill that fewer people can do at a high level, um, and that is more critical to the success of the team. So yeah, cool. That sounds like it all checks out. To me, I was trying to think in my head, like before we started the pod, like the, the kind, a kind of analogous relationship to me would be like, a doctor nurse dynamic, right? So like doctors are seen more valuable to patient outcomes, which is demonstrated by their pay. Like objectively they're seen that way because they have more responsibility. They have more training, they have more skills, et cetera, et cetera. 
while nurses are also extremely critical to patient outcomes, no one would say, oh, we just need doctors. We don't need nurses. Obviously, everybody, no one would believe that. Um, but in relative terms, they're less valuable. So if this is the dynamic, right, it would make sense to me that we would we would vote in more doctors into the all-star team than we would nurses. But if this is the dynamic, I need someone to explain to me why Derek White is the only quote-unquote role player to have impact as great as some of the best primaries in the league. <laughs> um, of the top 30 in EPM, there's exactly three players who have a usage at less than at 20 or less. So James Harden, who we know obviously has the ball in his hands constantly, <laughs> uh, might have the ball in his hands the most on anyone on that team, and has an assist percentage in the 97th percentile. So that's one. And then the other one is Isaiah Hartenstein, <clears throat> who leads the entire NBA in defensive EPM and has a, a slight negative offensive EPM. Then the last one, Derek White. <laughs> Derek White, furthermore, there's only five players in the entire league who have at least a plus two offensive EPM and a plus two defensive EPM. Sh should I go through the list, Jeff? The five players in the league? Joel, I, would love, I, would, I would love to hear him. Joel Embiid, SGA, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, and Derek White. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dope group to be a part of, I think. Uh, you know, so to me, I accept if, if this dynamic exists, let's take this at face value. Primary creators have disproportionate value, then, you know, role players um, provide uh, impact that is not as quite as high because of the difference in skills, the difference in difficulty, all of that stuff, responsibility level. Why do I have one role player who provides impact and value comparable to some of the best primary creators? If I do, then he has to be an all-star. Like, it's like if I have a nurse who's individually providing more value towards patient outcomes on a comparable level to some of the best doctors, that's insane. <laughs> that's insane. And, and in fact, that's more impressive than the doctors who have all the skills and experience because he's adding so much value from a place that typically doesn't provide that level of value. So you're talking about your Jason Tatum doesn't have to be as good as Embiid because the difference is being made up from a place that no other team has a player who is adding that value from. So that, that, that makes Tatum have to do less. And that is incredibly valuable to me. I, Derek White is indisputably an all-star. I think that this is probably going to be the one that gets the most pushback of our group, but this is the one that is most obvious to me or one of the ones that are, is most obvious to me. And to just keep trying to paint an objective picture for people who are maybe on the fence or against this, but are open-minded to try to paint a picture for the role that Derek White's taking on and how valuable what he's doing. So White, before he came to Boston, had never shot better than 36% from three. So first of all, fuck whatever magic Boston has that just turned this guy into an elite shooter. Like, I don't, I don't know how that, how that happened or how that occurred. Um, no, I'm joking. But so he shot 38% from three last year. Guess what? He was assisted on 90% of his threes last year, which is not super high. That was in the 38th percentile. But this year he's shooting even better, almost 40%, 39.6% from three. He's being assisted on 78% of his threes, the 18th percentile. He's self-creating over, over a fifth of his threes. Like, I don't think people realize how ridiculous that is. Is that Jalen Brunson level of self-creation? No, but he's shooting a ton of pull-up threes, just a ton of self-created threes in the pick and roll. And that's an incredibly valuable thing. They're leaning on him all the time in these games. This is just, I, yeah, I mean, your summary was really great. 
we haven't even talked about his defense really besides you know you mentioning that he's one of five guys who is plus two or better in EPM on both sides of the ball he's an incredible defender I said it in one of our first podcasts you know if you're a Knicks fan out there Derek White is like super Emmanuel quickly you know he's like quickly if quickly was more consistent and just better and, and taller like that's what he is this is He's just such a good player. And for this Celtics team, like XJ just, just said, he allows guys like Jalen Brown, guys like Jason Tatum. He He's similar to Chris Stapp's Porzingis in that just his presence allows these guys to be the best versions of themselves. But in a vacuum, you could stick him anywhere and he would be providing this impact. It's just being, it's just being magnified because Boston is such a perfectly put together team that we're finally realizing, like, holy shit, these guys actually matter. 100%. 100%. You know, and, you know, and honestly, I, I don't want to seem like I'm closed-minded about any of this. Like, I, I feel very strongly about this, and I think the data supports my strong feelings about this. And, and not just, again, not just EPM. We're talking about other very reliable impact metrics, LeBron, box plus minus. We're talking about his efficiency. We're talking about his overall impact on his team. Um, all of those things, they completely check out, but I would love to hear other people's opinions. If you feel strongly Derek White is not an all-star, I'm open to other perspectives that would suggest that, that, that should be the case. And, and, and maybe there was something off about my analogy or, or, or some of what I talked about. And I love to hear people poke holes in it. So I'm open to that. I just think he's a great example of how we can let our biases totally lead us to the conclusions that we want to be led to. Because every anti-Derek White stance that I see just starts with, oh, he's a role player. Like, that's just it for them, you know? And so there's no, for some people, there's just no getting beyond that. Um, And I think if you're listening to this and you are open-minded, whether you're as high on Derek White as we are, you have to try to look beyond that because it's just not that simple. Yep, absolutely. Let's go to our reserves uh, in the front court for the Eastern Conference. Um, there may be some controversy here. I'm not sure. Um, we have Scotty Barnes. We have Jalen Brown. And we have Pascal Siakam our, as our three front court reserves in the Eastern Conference. Uh, obviously, we're not going to have ta- time to talk about all three of these guys. Any specific one that you want to you wanna talk about? I just think that it's really cool that we got to have Jalen Brown in here because something I'm really proud of when we started this venture has always been our goal of holding ourselves accountable and just being, I don't want to say like a slave, but just trusting the process of, you know, trusting the data over what our eyes tell us, trusting the data over our previous biases. We're not ever going to be the type of people who Because we once said something, we now are going to just try to skew the data towards backing up what we once said so that we look smart or look predictive. We are just totally in love with this game and watching this game, and we're willing to let it take us wherever it takes us. And to me, nothing summarizes that better than Jalen Brown, because at the start of the season, you and I debated whether Jalen Brown was like the fourth or fifth most important player in the Celtics starting lineup. And if I was a Celtics fan listening at the time who doesn't really, you know, trust or enjoy using analytics or the data, I'd probably be like, what are you fucking crazy? Like Jalen Brown, he's 
the second most important player. He's their best. He's their second best offensive player. And oh my God, have you seen what he can do with the ball in his hands and all the stuff you hear? And we would have laughed at that. We really would have laughed at that. We would have just been like, yeah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's just, that's not how it works. Tatum is the engine. Then these other guys are way better as the supporting pieces to the engine. And I will say, I do think Jalen Brown got a little fortunate at, maybe it was a little bit more predictable. He got a little fortunate in the sense of Porzingis didn't play enough games. I think if Porzingis played more, he would just be, yeah, he's very clearly the second most important player on this Celtics team. I actually would go as far as to say, if Porzingis like is, if him being hurt is a trend down the line, like I'm not as overwhelmingly high on their chances in the playoffs as I am. If he, if they're healthy in the playoffs, I think they're a huge favorite, but if Porzingis is out, I, I don't, I don't know how high I am on their ability to win a championship. Porzingis is, is make or break for them. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Porzingis would clearly be in, in the front court, um, in the Eastern conference reserves, if he hadn't played only 70% of their games, I mean, 70% is, is, you know, at your borderline, like it's, you shouldn't even be considered for all-star in my opinion. It's just missed too many games, but in terms of his impact individually and his impact on the Celtics, clearly currently so far clear and above the second most impactful and important player to that team, um, like I think the team you could probably make the argument that he's closer to Tatum than anybody like he, yeah. there's a better argument that he's more impactful to the Celtics than Tatum. than there is an argument that anybody else is more impactful is as impactful as he is. Yeah. I, right. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, I totally agree with that. Totally buy that. Um, I think the Celtics could survive like losing Jalen Brown um, and potentially still make an Easter conference final. They're that good and 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 they're that well coached and have such a good, you know, synergy between them. They lose Porzingis. I don't. I think they're they're getting eliminated um, earlier earlier than later. Uh, as far as Jalen Brown, I will say. Yes, Jalen Brown is not one of my favorite players. I've never been the biggest Jalen Brown fan. Um, I felt like he's been overrated consistently in the past. Clearly did not deserve an all-star appearance last year. Clearly did not deserve an all-NBA appearance last year. Um, that said, this year, as Jeff mentioned, you know, I'm not going to try to retrofit the data to match what I what my preference is. Jalen Brown has been tremendous this year. And I think... Um, I think it's probably the best year of his career. I think some of that is due to, uh, you know, the elevation of some of his teammates around him. I think some of that is interesting because early in this year, I thought Brown was not very good. I I thought he did not show up playing really well. I think it was probably maybe mid no until mid November ish, maybe late November. I was like, this guy is like this, his, his contract is almost like hot. I don't know. Like his, his contract almost feels like an albatross at this point. If he's going to play like this, like he did not show up playing well. Um, but since that point, maybe like late November ish till now, he's been incredible. His, his shooting's been a lot better. Um, his turnover rate has dropped precipitously from what it was early in the season. Um, you know, he's been consistent in terms of his numbers. 
um, passing the ball, turning it over on, on net average is what I mean. Um, generating steals, um, blocking shots. His defensive impact has been tremendous and probably has been like where he's been able to, to exert his will the most and, and has been playing as, you know, I think a lot of us felt like he had the ability to with his physical skills and gifts and all that stuff, length and strength that he has. So he's been able to kind of like show off his defensive ability um this season i think that's that's a big reason why he's in there in the front court for us yeah uh the block percentage has taken a huge huge leap he's almost doubled his block percentage from last season you know his scoring numbers have actually leveled off pretty hardly which is which actually makes the point stronger um because we always talk about if improvement comes in one really volatile area like shooting you probably haven't actually improved like maybe you have, maybe you've taken a leap as a shooter, um, but that's a lot of weight to put on one thing. But if you look at Jalen Brown across the board, you know, three-point shooting, mid-range shooting, shooting at the rim, true shooting, effective field goal percentage, all these different things. It's just like, yeah, he's, he's being Jalen Brown and the impact reflects that. Um, but then you look, you know, his assist percentage is slightly up, his turnover percentage is slightly down, block percentage is way up, defensive impact way up. Um, I, I'm really happy that we get to put Jalen Brown in and we got to address this so that, you know, if you're listening to this and you, you just know that we're always going to do and try to project what is actually happening and not what is convenient for us so that we look smart. We have no interest in looking smart. We're just, we're just here to talk about what's actually happening or what we think is actually happening. And um, yeah, this, this was, this was great to get to talk about. Yeah. And and I just want to say really quick, although his overall, like, stats have leveled off in terms of his percentages and efficiency. I do think some of that is kind of like a guy who we haven't talked about yet. Julius Randall, um, you know, started the year off really poorly and then has spent like the last couple of months kind of like, you know, reconciling what he did and bringing all of his percentages up. So I, I think that that is something that's going on um, in terms of some of his percentages. I, I think that he's, he's been better of late than he has been across the entire season. Not a ton better, not a ton better, but better than he had been early in the season. So that's part of it too. But yeah, I agree. I think it's just, to, to, to me, some of the big differences are, are on the defensive end for, for Jalen Brown specifically, which is great. He's uh, He has the opportunity to to have a ton of impact that way. And to me, that's the sign of a really good player is when you can say, oh, okay, I'm going to let these other guys take on some of the offensive usage and creation. And I, instead, I'm going to put my energy into impacting the game in a different way. And to me, that's extremely valuable. And Jalen Brown's been able to do that. Um, yeah, that's so, that's so cool. We never, ever would have painted the picture of Jalen Brown that way. Like that would have been Derek <laughs> yeah. White and Drew Holiday. Yeah. You know, that's that, that was the whole basis of our argument. It's like, okay, they have these two guys in Drew Holiday and in Derek White, who when and even Porzingis, like they have three guys who when Jason Tatum has the ball, they don't need the ball. Like they're just their presence is helping the team, whether it's defense or whether it's gravity. And Jalen Brown, like these guys are elevating Jalen Brown in the same way. Like when Jalen Brown has the ball, their presence is elevating his impact. But what is he doing for them? And finally, this season in his age 27, he's joining them and he's like, no, and other people are doing their thing. Oh, Derek White's taken an, in, an increased role with the ball in his hands in the offense. Okay, I'm still going to help the team on the defensive side of the ball. That's that's huge for the Celtics. And the last thing I want to say before we move on is I mentioned this with Derek White. Jalen Brown is being assisted on 63% of his threes, which is in the seventh percentile. So like 
35% from three on that um, shot diet is actually really impressive, especially if what XJ said is true in the sense of he started off super cold and that's probably going to rise up to 36 or 37% by the end of the season. That's that's elite is a strong word. That's a really, really good shooting season because it's just so hard to create that many threes to, to, to not be assisted on 37% of your threes and just constantly be shooting off the bounce. That's super. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it, it, and it, um, it creates a really high floor for your offense because people are probably wondering why I keep bringing this up. The reason unassisted threes are so valuable is because you can pretty much create those whenever you want that there's no extra external factor that you're dependent on. Once the ball hits your hands, you can create that shot whenever you want. So that that raises the floor for a team's offense, which in the playoffs matters a ton. Yep, I think that that's all 100% true um, and a great ad by you at the end there. Uh, somebody who shoots a lot off the bounce, Damian Lillard, is going to be a part of our Eastern Conference wild cards. We have Damian Lillard, we have Tyrese Maxey. Those round out our Eastern Conference All-Star team. Again, just to reiterate, Tyrese uh, Halliburton, Jalen Brunson, Giannis, Tatum, and Bede are our starters. Reserves, Derek White, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam, Damian Lillard, and Tyrese Maxey. Somebody who is, you know, not on this list uh, that some of our listeners may notice. Um, I think that would make sense to talk about here since we talk about the Knicks quite a bit. Julius Randle, not on our list. Uh, this is something that Jeff and I talked about. Should it be Randle? Should it be Pascal Siakam? These two guys are very comparable when it comes to the data. Um, when you look at all the data, it's it's nearly a toss-up. Um, in terms of what I have logged in my little spreadsheet here, it's not going to encompass the most recent games, maybe the most recent two games. Um, but Pascal had 1,450 minutes played. Julius had 1,550 minutes played. Um, their EPMs were within, you know, 2.5 to 2.2, just pretty much a toss up. LeBron's 1.4 to 1.3. <laughs> Again, just a toss up BPM 1.2 to 1.7. Very close. Uh, Pascal, a little more efficient than Randall in terms of true shooting percentage. Just really, really close in terms of their impact. I think for me where the difference was, was the fact that in terms of on-off, the Knicks do pretty well when Randall's on the court. And we saw that, you know, obviously a lot of that is due to, you know, Jalen Brunson bringing OG Ananobi. They have a really good infrastructure around Julius Randall. But he just doesn't seem as consequential to the team as when Pascal was in Toronto. He had one of the best on-offs on the team. Um, now that Pascal has left, Toronto's been a mess, uh, I might say. And then going to Indiana, Pascal Siakam has had one of the best on-offs in the entire NBA. Um, incredible impact, something like what we're seeing from OG and Anobi in terms of on-off in New York. So it just seems that Pascal Siakam has is very important to his teams in a way that Julius Randle may not be despite having very similar production. So again, that's, it's more of a toss up. If you have Julius instead of Siakam, I wouldn't really argue with you. I think it's just in his early returns in, in Indy without Tyrese Halliburton, it just seems like um, Pascal deserved to get the nod. Yeah. And I think 
I mean, I don't know what you think about this. I think you could throw Barnes into the conversation too. Although one thing I like about Barnes is that, um, like we talked about Derek White, his impact is very balanced. So it's, you know, it's not one outlier thing, thing that's carrying him. He's been great on both sides of the ball. Even as his three-point shooting has sort of normalized, it's down to 36%. He's still helping his team on both ends of the ball, and he's played um, every single game this season. So I feel pretty good about having Barnes in there. But I do think it's fair to say that Barnes is in the Siakam-Randall tier. And if you just think Randall is better or more impactful than Barnes so far this season, I would just be like, yeah, that's that's a reasonable take. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I think I'm glad that you brought up Barnes because Barnes started out the year as like an MVP level candidate. Like he was clearly an all NBA level player and he his overall impact has really nosedived. Um, and I think, you know, my opinion, a lot of that has to do with the shooting falling off from like, you know, this surreal like 42% three-point shooting that he had earlier in the season and the knowledge that that's not sustainable for a player who shot, you know, sub 30% in both of his previous years, didn't shoot in college, like not, you know, a guy who shoots mid 70s in free th- from the free throw line just didn't seem realistic that he was going to shoot 40% over the course of a year. And we've seen that come way down. His overall um, three-point shooting is at around 36% now, which is about league average. But, you know, that is considering the hot start. He had to shoot pretty poorly to get down to that to that level. So his offensive impact has come down. His defensive impact has been a bit exposed, I would say, without like some of the insulation that he had with, um, you know, a ton of Yaka Pirtle games, a ton of um, uh, games playing next to Siakam. It's a little different trying to have the impact that he's he's been having on the defensive end when, you know, Jonte Porter is playing a ton of minutes next to you. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that that is that it's a great point to bring up Scotty Barnes. I think it's totally OK if you have Randall and over Scotty Barnes as well. And just last comment on the snubs, because I. There's one name. I'm curious if you can guess it. We didn't even bring him up in our snubs, and I felt bad about it. Oh, that we didn't bring um, up as a snub, as a like a rightful deserving, a snub? legit snub, not a, oh, not, okay, a Palo, okay. not a Paolo Bancaro snub. Is uh, it? Is it? Can I guess? Yeah. There's two guys I have in mind. I'm not sure if it's either of these guys. Um, one is uh, Chris Middleton, who I think deserves some 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 acknowledgement. Probably wouldn't have made it, but deserves some acknowledgement. And the other is is uh, Isaiah Hardenstein, who who I think has been incredible defensively, and 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 I think you know we don't see guys on the defensive end get rewarded uh, when they don't have that level of offensive impact, but I think Hardenstein's been in the defensive player of the year conversation and should definitely have gotten some all star love. So those are two guys I, I like at least considered, but like you might be yeah, talking about it, somebody who I don't think is who I who I don't think is a legitimate snub. <laughs> no, it was uh it's Paolo's teammate, Franz Wagner. Ah, um, Franz, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I just feel like with the magic, you know, they've fallen off a little bit recently as well. Although they they had an awesome game against the Suns a few nights ago where they basically just closed with their all defense lineup and the Suns didn't make a basket there. Like the Suns with Beal Booker and Durant on the court for most of it, didn't put the ball in the basket for almost eight minutes of game. That's crazy. That's an insane. It was just just like, yeah, it was just wild to watch. Their defense is so good. Um, Yeah. I still contend that Franz is the guy for Orlando. Um, And like, 
it's so funny as this conversation came up, I see Kevin O'Connor tweeted a video and you're going to laugh. You're actually going to laugh really hard. Actually. The tweet is agree or disagree. Paolo Bancaro will someday be one of the NBA's five to 10 best players ever. Ever. (laughs) What? This is, I feel like you're pranking me. I'm not pranking you. This is an actual video that they made. Five to ten best players in the history of the NBA? Top five or top ten best players ever, XJ. Bro, come on, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to, like, come on, man. What are we talking about here? This is this is nonsense. I, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying so hard not to be dismissive. I can't do it with this. This is, this is ridiculous. Five to ten best See, players of all time? Like, it's one thing if you say he'd be a Hall of Famer, I'd still be like, whoa, that's crazy. You're talking about in that... Fi- like he's who is he kicking out of the who are you saying Paolo Bancaro is going to be better than Steph Curry like like who you're saying he's clear he's going to be better than Kevin Durant like easily what are we talking about here to be to be fair I haven't watched the video so I don't want to be one of the, it, it could just be like clickbait. they could be making a, they, they could be doing what we're doing like maybe they <laughs> maybe maybe it's a clickbaity title and they're like wait what no but yeah. I don't think so it, it does seem like they're like, I don't know. It could be, could be realistic. But hey. can we talk about Paolo first? I know you were bringing up Franz Wagner. I mean, Paolo Bancara is not a snub from the All Star team. Paolo Bancara should not sniff the Eastern Conference All Star team. Maybe he will one day. I'm not saying I'm like off on Paolo. He's garbage. Anything like I'm not saying that at all. Paolo may be a multi. He may be a perennial All Star in his career. I could totally see that. I see that as the range of possible outcomes. Do I see him as a perennial time All NBA, multi time MVP, leading teams to championships, being a top five to ten greatest player of all time in the history of the game? No, I don't see. I see that as like a what is the line from Oppenheimer uh, with 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 regard to you, you know you've seen Oppenheimer. You know when he says yeah, like you just have to be a little bit more specific and I'll get the line. Uh, when he says, when he's talking it's to a, Einstein, it's a three hour movie. Yeah, no, I, I know. I'm just like you, the line, you know, and then you just say it. Um, no, <laughs> the, the line when he's talking to Einstein and he's like, mm-hmm. well, there's a chance that, you know, like, we, you know, we could it, doing this new could like start a chain reaction that could yeah. like end up destroying the world. And what, what, there was some line about it being like zero or less than zero or something like that. Like, Oh, so like. Yeah, a so non-zero chance. I think that's what yeah, it was. It, that it, right? It was it was near zero. Near zero. Okay. I'm sorry I went on this tangent to get near zero, but like to me, I'm saying like it's not impossible, but it's essentially it's effectively impossible. I don't think that that's a possibility for Paolo Bancaro. Um, Paolo Bancaro is one of the least efficient players in the NBA. Um, his true shooting is in the 23rd percentile. You know, last year was in the 20th percentile hasn't changed very much. His effective field goal percentage was in the eighth percentile last year for 17th percentile this year. There's nobody in the league who is taking as many shots as Paolo Bancaro, who has as much usage as Paolo Bancaro, who is as inefficient as he is. This is like for Nick fans who, you know, lived through, you know, having RJ Barrett conversations for like five years or whatever it was. This is like RJ Barrett with like, you know, with the free reins to like run the team. Like it's like RJ like, Hey, let's feature RJ Barrett and have him like run, pick and roll. And like, you know, lead the team. It's like, that's what Paolo Bancaro is doing. He's shooting 40% from the mid range and he takes a ton of mid range shots. It's like the, for me, at least when I watch Orlando, I'm like, is there offense geared to like get Paolo Bancaro like mid range shots? Like it's a weird outcome that you would like that, that both teams want it. Like both teams are like, yeah, we would love for your off for your possessions to end with a Paolo Bancaro mid-range shot. And then Magic are like, 
yeah, we would also love for our possessions to end with a Palo Pacero mid-range shot. It's like strange. Like both teams are like, yeah, let's do that. And that's why they don't score because it's because he's extremely inefficient. Um, bad free throw shooter. You know, he started out the year shooting well from three. That's coming way down or will come continue to come way down, I believe. Um, yeah. Shooting I, I, less than 40% from the mid-range. And like... That's on high volume. On, on high volume. Like he's shooting... He's shooting 39.7% from the mid-range, and he shoots in the 97th percentile for, uh, volume. He's <laughs> averaging eight <laughs> attempts per game from the mid-range. Or that's, that, that's lunacy. That's lunacy. Nobody's running an offense like that in the modern NBA. Nobody's running an offense where a guy that bad at doing something does it that often. Like That just doesn't make any sense on a rational basis. But for sure, Paolo is very talented, very skilled. Um, you know, it's so big and strong at his size to have the handle that he does, the the dexterity that he does, the athleticism that he does, like it's incredible. And that's why I think people see this, the ceiling for him uh, as like endless, but as far as the production on court, he's nowhere near an all-star conversation. He just shouldn't be in the discussion whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that that's like, what's the thing you always say actually, where you're like, we always talk about how like, just because you were right doesn't mean that you're you're predictive. I'm going to adjust how I gauge your predictive abilities. You know, like maybe maybe Paolo will end up being one of the five or ten best players ever. Uh, you know, you just said like it's near zero, but th- it's not zero. So maybe that will end up being right. But if it ends up happening, I would still similarly question anybody who right now is like. Oh, what I'm seeing, I just can predict forward and see it. Like I, I don't get uh, what you see. To 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 bring that point home, um, when knowledge is defined in philosophy as justified true belief. So if you have a true belief about something, you're correct about your belief about something, and it is justified. That is considered knowledge. Just having true belief about something without justification is a lucky guess, and that is not knowledge. And that is what we're talking about here. If you say like. I think this is going to happen, but I have no justification for it. And it happens to be correct. That did not mean you had prior knowledge. That meant that you just guessed about something and you happen to be right. So that's, that's so what I, I, I do think we need to be a little bit more open-minded though, because I do think like when you say something like that, it comes off a little bit too dismissive because you're I'm being very that, dismissive right now. I think no, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and I agree with you, you know, I agree, not, not agree with your dismissiveness, but I do agree with you that like, we're both looking at the same data, but is it possible that they're seeing something beyond the data, just in the physical profile that we're not seeing? Like, is it possible that, that that's there? And yes, should that of course be that's possible. We, we reconsider. Yes, of course that's possible. And, um, I'm being dismissive because I annoyed myself. I mean, you annoyed me. I'll say, I, I, I'll blame you, Jeff. You annoyed me by saying that Kevin O'Connor had this piece about, I mean, I know you didn't watch it, so we don't really know what it's about, but it sounded like somebody suggesting that Powell is going to be a top, could be a top five to 10 player of all time. And that just infuriated me because I don't think there's a justified true belief about that. Like there could be a justification for that. I don't know anything about his physical profile, uh, anything that would justify that position. Like, and I'm, and I'm happy to be out there on that position. And if it happened, 
you know, that would be, I, I would love for everybody to clip this and send it back to me for the rest of his, you know, after his hall of fame speech, everybody can, you know, send this back to me in 20, uh, 2047 or whatever it is. But yeah, I just, that, that, that's really why I'm sounding so dismissive, but yes, of course it's, it's fair that people can be seeing things that we're not seeing or I'm not seeing based on other things that, you know, I'm not evaluating as well or as, as, as expertly. So that, that's totally fair. Thank you for, yeah, for, for raising me in. Yeah, no. And I mean, I forget what you called it, but I'm trying to do the thing that you said that we should be trying to do where we're like leading the other person to discussing oppositional arguments or whatever. I forget what you called it. Steel um, man. Yeah, there you go. Um, and it is important to point out he is a unicorn of a body, 6'10", 21 years old. So like XJ said, we would, if somebody came down if, from above and was like, uh, careful guys, this guy's going to be a multiple all-star. I totally buy that. I totally buy that he could be a multiple time all-star down the line. Top five to 10 player of all time is just, I think that's where XJ's pushback is really coming from. Like that is Kevin Durant. That is Steph Curry. You know, that's that range of player. That's Kobe Bryant. Um, it's hard. It's just really hard to be that good, honestly. Like that's, that's it. Yeah, that's absolutely where it's coming from for me. So that, that, yeah, I, I appreciate the even killedness that you brought to that conversation but you, you you sprung that on me i know it was sprung on you but i'm just like what the fuck are we talking about with this? <laughs> we're we're you know we're we're over three months into the pod it had to happen eventually where i was the one reeling you in it couldn't just be me yelling at the yelling at the computer forever it had to at some point it had to be me being the the even killed one yeah no no it's 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 been more than there's just this time i'm just imagining like being like uh, yeah is who's who do you think's better is it like magic or paolo like you know like <laughs> i like who do you think's more dominant was it Shaq or paolo i don't know man it's tough dude it's close man just let's just have arguments all day about it like that'd be a crazy world we're living in honestly i don't even know if that might make me question everything i know about basketball. and what's wild is like dude we're going to be old as fuck by the time he's going to be, he's, he's considered for the hall of fame. Yeah. So we're going to be the definition of old man yells at clouds. Like we're going to be the old man. No, he, he wasn't that good. Have you, you know, seen LeBron James? Hey, LeBron James, Paolo, <laughs> Paolo shits on LeBron James, man. Are you serious? LeBron just played for a long time. Paolo was that guy. It's like, I can't, there this gonna, sounds like a crazy be, world, man. There are going to be those like kids born in 20, 2018 who are telling us that lebron played against janitors and stuff like that <laughs> ah, that lebron sucked man have you seen his competition <laughs> uh, i think that's custodian sir we're in 2050 yeah. we're in 2050 we don't call them janitors anymore okay um anyway that's that's hilarious <laughs> uh we gotta we gotta move to to the western conference 